Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football Garage Time NFL Podcast, Deep Draft Prospects, and 1967 NFL Draft Retrospective. I'm Hakun Wong, the Editor-in-Chief of Football Garbage Time, and with me, as always, is Ryan Whitfield, Senior Staff Writer on Football Garbage Time, and boy, there's a lot of sports going on right about now, and none of it is football. We got NBA playoffs, we got hockey playoffs, we got the third week of uh, Major League Baseball, uh, and Ryan, I know we were just talking about this, but I'm not going to say anything about my Bulls beating up on the Celtics, those one-seed Celtics, because <laughs> as of the end of today, the Blackhawks may be completely out of the NHL playoffs. So I'll, I'll stay quiet there. I'll do your, I'll do your, uh, your, your, uh, your, your shout-out about how poorly the Blackhawks are for you. How's that? Hey, if you want to brag about beating the worst one-seed, maybe in the history of sports, <laughs> go for it. That's oh, here we go. Marcus Smart couldn't throw the ball in the ocean. Al Horford is the softest big man in the NBA. The only person with any shredded talent on that team is is Isaiah Thomas, and he's going to want a max contract and they'll blow him out of here in two years. So, congrats. Right, right. I love that team. Get a good Rajon Rondo. I was going to say, the best guy on that team is Rajon Rondo. Oh, wait, he's a bull now. How's that that happen? I can say that's the most surreal part about it is Rajon Rondo leading the team. Uh, that doesn't make that just blows my mind entirely. But hey, all right. So plenty, plenty enough to talk about about our favorite sport, and that's football. So let's let's go ahead and get a roll in when we talk about the uh, few prospect picks in uh, the NFL draft coming up next week. So the NFL draft is coming up right around the corner, and as always, Ryan and I have a lot to say about who people should pick. We all did a mock draft where we talked about who should be picked in the first round, but that's not what you always are interested in. You're interested in what those prospects are that should be taken in deep, deep, deep in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round. So we're here to talk about that today. So Ryan, why don't you tell us who is your first deep prospect, some guy you think can be taken late in the draft, in the fourth round or later. Yeah, so we're really digging now, um, but that's what that's what happens at this time in the season. But uh, you know, I, 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 I running back. The first guy on my list was running back Brian Hill from Wyoming. Um, six foot one, two nineteen. He's a thick running back. He's uh, he ran for eighteen hundred sixty yards last year and twenty touchdowns. Um, only had eight receiving uh, receptions last year, but he did have twenty catches in his sophomore year. So a little bit of ability. Um, to catch the ball, but primarily, you know, projected as a first and second down back. He's got a good motor, strength, um, pretty decent speed, and he's definitely a north-south runner. I, I watched, I went back and watched some um, some footage today of him, and you know, he, he's definitely going to be, I think, for a team that already has a third down back, a really nice fit to come in and be kind of the workhorse on the early downs. He doesn't dance in the backfield. He takes the ball, like I said, goes north and south. So he takes that ball, makes one cut, and he goes up the field. Um, seeks out contact a little bit, but he runs through it a lot. So he's, uh, you know, doesn't have breakaway speed, but he, he's fast. He'll get a four five forty. So he's fast enough that when he gets into the open field, he can get going. So, you know, overall, I, I like him, and I think the third and fourth round is really where running back should be slotted, um, except for Dalvin Cook. Uh, shout out to my Seahawks fan. <laughs> right, right. I know how much you love Dalvin Cook, and you're not alone on that one. But tell me, what what do you think? You know, is there a team in mind that you think might actually want to get, want to aim for this 
this guy uh, in the in the fourth round or third round if he comes around? I think he'd be a good fit in Cincinnati. Um, you have two. Oh, interesting. You know, more kind of elusive backs. You got Jeremy Hill who can't hold on to the ball. Um, I don't think that either one of those guys is the kind of guy that you give the ball to at the one yard line to compound it in. And I think he'd be a nice compliment there. You know, kind of a guy you can feed a lot first and second down. Geo and Hill have had a lot of health issues too. So if you can limit their touches and keep them at passing down backs and guys who really take it in the third. And, you know, the, the fantasy conundrum the last couple of years, is, or, you know, last year specifically, if you had Jeremy Hill, um, you know that when the Bengals are down, which they were down a lot last year, you know, they go to G, they go to Geo a lot because Jeremy Hill's their big back or their, you know, the more physical back, but he also can't hold on to the ball. So, you know, I think... I think that's that's a that's a smart spot for him to go. Um, I'd also say, you know, I think he potentially could fit with the Giants. Um, give them give them a nice, you know, they have the explosive passing game. They really haven't had right. a running game um, in, in years. You know, even Mod Bradshaw and Brandon Jacobs had flashes. That's really been C.D. Barber that they had a really solid back that they could just feed the ball and trust. Um, so I think he'd be a good fit there too. So those are those are just two teams off the top of my head that I would that I think should look at him. Yeah, I think the Giants sound like a really good place for him to land. I mean, they could really use some help back there, and they still do have Paul Perkins. Um, you know, they, they they possibly want to continue looking at him. So I can see that them drafting drafting another guy, kind of throwing him in there, see what happens. Uh, and I and I do like the fact that you went running back here because you know the fact of the matter is that there are a couple top guys at the top of the list, but there's a little there's a pretty deep running back class this year. I think I don't think people realize that, and you can get somebody really late in the draft and kind of supplement who you already have. And I think the way the NFL is going, they're going to more of a running back by committee type of offense. They're not really going to this one guy who runs everything, uh, and it's been very effective. I think that's a, a very effective way of running it and keeping guys healthy. So uh, I'm on board. With that I'm, I'm on board with that pick. So let me say, let me tell you the, the the flip side of your pick, and that's uh, Joe Yearby, the running back from Miami. So you know, as you said, Dalvin Cook, Dalvin Cook, Dalvin Cook. All right. So he's definitely a premier running back coming out of Florida. I mean, out of Florida State, but out of the state of Florida. And you know, frankly, Joe Yearby has been kind of overlooked over in Miami. You know, he he. There's a reason for that, obviously, because you know, as a as a sophomore, he did have he did make a little bit of an impact. Uh, on the field, carrying the ball 2015, I mean, uh, 2015, holy cow, 215 times uh, for uh, 1,002 yards. He had uh, six touchdowns along that, and he caught 23 passes for 273 yards, and uh, had two receiving touchdowns. So he was on the scene in 2015. But then 2016, with the new head coach, Mark Rick, and Walton uh, leading the offense, uh, Yobi really took a back seat. You know, he only had 102 carries for 608 yards, seven touchdowns. He only got three carries in the final two games of the season. So uh, it's clear that he wasn't going to get much of a look in, uh, in, in Miami anymore. They're moving away from him, so he decided to go pro. So it's interesting because he's kind of, in a way, betting on himself to really have scouts look at his body of work from his 2015 year and carry that into his pro time here. And I think he could be really good. I mean, he, he can be really solid. He's, he's not a complete prospect. But he is a solid one-cut guy. He's not a guy who's going to dance around in the backfield. But he has some speed. He's not elite, but he definitely has some speed. He's exceptionally quick, and he could uh, and he plays really hard from whistle to whistle. He makes hard cuts and really has an ability to miss to get make guys miss in a second level. So I really think he could be part of a running back by committee, but the sort of quote-unquote lightning part of a thunder and lightning type of duo. 
and that could be a good place for him to be, or a change of pace type back uh, for a power runner. I think he could also be there. Um, he's demonstrated great run lane awareness. I mean, if you watch some of the tape, you'll see that he's patient, but then when he sees the opening, he just cuts and goes. He has sufficient quickness, though, to take advantage of the edges if the run lanes don't develop. So if everything just falls apart, he'll get to the edge. He'll get you four or five yards around the edge. And if he, and if he makes the first guy miss, he can be off to the races. So I think there's a lot to be said about Joe Yerby. And most important, most important to all football guys, everybody out there in the NFL, is the fact that he is a master of ball security. He has had only one career fumble in 393 attempts. Just one. I mean, that's got to say something. That's good discipline. That's good ball security. I mean, that's the type of guy you want. One, one cut runner, downhill runner, but speedy, can make guys miss. Good ball security. Great change of pace guy. I think there are a few options that are better than Yerby that uh, will be available in the fourth, maybe fifth round or later. And quite frankly, if he goes in the fifth round, I think he's a steal. Now, he's not the only guy that can, can fill the backfield, so I think he's a guy who will have to be in a committee. I think he's a possible target for the Giants, as you mentioned uh, earlier. Uh, he could be a possible target for the Jets. He's also a possible target, I think, for the Redskins and maybe the Buccaneers, depending on what happens with Doug Martin. Uh, I think they could use a little bit of a reboot there at running back position. You know, have any uh, have any thoughts on Joe Yerby, or have you had a chance to see any of his tape at all? I know you've been, you're you're probably in shock and awe of all the stuff that Dalvin Cook did last year in Florida. So I, I don't I don't blame you if you didn't see Joe Yerby. But any any thoughts about him? No, when you when you sent his name over to me today, I watched his tape briefly. Uh, you know, I agree with most of what you said. Um, you know, you, you take it all with a grain of salt. You know, we both said the same thing about um, Yerby and uh, Brian Hill, uh, just, you know, north-south, you know, right. not the end in the backfield, cutting right away. But most of those highlight takes don't show the time to dance and get caught in the backfield. So, um, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But uh, I, I agree with most yeah. of what you said. And, uh, I, I think I think for a, for a mid-round spot, again, if you're, if you're not getting Dalvin Cook um, with as deep as this running back class is, I, I'm waiting for the mid-rounds too. Yeah, I think, and here I'm going to agree with you and say that, you know, there's a lot of value to be had running back in the fourth, fifth, and sixth round even. All right, give us your uh, second prospect, your second deep prospect. Yeah, so I kind of cheated on this one, as I said to you in our our pre-show email. Um, But I put cornerback Sidney Jones from Washington. Obviously, he was a a first-round talent before he blew out his ACL at the uh, Uh – I don't think it was at the Combine. I think it was at his pro day. Um, But – you know, six foot, 186. You know, a clear cover corner. He is, uh, you know, described as fast and tough, and you know, I just, I, he was better than Kevin King, who I now have projected in the first round. Uh, so, you know, that's that's a guy that I think, you know, they haven't projected right now second to fourth round. I don't think he's in the fourth round or later because I don't think he's going to be able to make an impact. I don't know what the official ruling is on how long he's out, but he's most likely not making an impact on the team this year. And how many teams can afford to waste the first, second, or third round pick? This is not the NBA draft or the NHL draft or you know, even the baseball draft. You know, this is the one draft where you know, pretty much all seven rounds you, got, you find guys that can tr- contribute their rookie season. Um, so for a second or third round to throw away on Sidney Jones, I think it's ridiculous. So um, I think at the fourth round, though, if you, if you have a pretty set team at that point, um, that's a great time to, to kind of stash him. And, you know, the one team in particular I'm looking at, I'm looking about 20 minutes south of me uh, over to Gillette. Uh, I, I don't think the Patriots have any immediate needs right now. I think the Patriots could go without any draft picks. You know, if, if just Mike Gillisley goes through, you got Mike Gillisley, you know, Burkhead in the backfield with 
with Lewis and uh, and James White, and obviously stacked the receiver, adding cooks to that tight end. You know, got two great tight ends. The defense is pretty loaded, especially to keep Malcolm Butler. So why not for the Patriots to, you know, even reach on him and take him and just store him and next year when you, you know, if you don't cut David Malcolm Butler this year, you're probably cutting David Malcolm Butler next year. So, you know, you move on from him and you pair Sidney Jones uh, with Cyrus Jones and, um, and Stephon Gilmore, and I think you have a pretty elite cornerback uh, class going forward. So that would be my number yeah. one uh, spot for him, and, you know, if you're asking me. Well, you know, so let me talk, say, Sidney Jones, you know, I, I think that would be a steal if you got him outside of the second round, honestly. Because quite, quite frankly, he, so it was a ruptured Achilles. Uh, he had surgery um, on uh, on March 21, so basically 10 days after he tore it at his pro day. Um, he's, set, he's, he's right now scheduled to start running uh, in a couple months. Uh, so, you know, the fact of the matter is that there is a – outside possibility that he could get on the field sometime during his rookie season. Uh, and even if he doesn't get that, then he will at least have the opportunity to be 100% for his uh, for the second year on the roster. So I'm not – I don't expect him to fall that much. I, mean, I actually – I'm with you. I think he's going to be super solid. I, I would be surprised, actually, if somebody doesn't take a shot with him uh, in the second round because he's just so good. Um, but who knows? I mean, if he falls to the third, wow, that's a steal. And if the Patriots get him, boy, am I going to be angry because that would be a ridiculous – that's going to be a great player that's fallen uh, and, and it's a perfect spot. I think the Patriots are a perfect spot from the land because they don't need him right away. He can learn the system uh, just sitting around and, and just kind of watching games, learning from other players, reading the playbook, and get, just getting, getting a feel for what's, what has to be done there at a high level and then start rehabbing. And I just looked it up, and he's, start, and he's scheduled to start running in, in uh, four months. I mean, that's not that bad. Four months, that's only August. So, frankly, yeah, he could be miss, running you before the rookie, You miss rookie camp, you miss OTAs, you miss mini camp, you miss training camp. It's really hard. I mean, you know you can study a playbook, but he's not going to be in football shape till, till late in the season. I just think, I think that there's, you know, in, in the league where, you know, you get hired and told you you can implement a five-year plan and then you get canned two years later or one year if you're the Cleveland Browns. You know, I don't know how right. many coaches have the autonomy or the, you know, the job security to do that. So there's really only five spots I think you could land um, where there's coaches that have that kind of job security. And that would be the Pats, obviously Tomlin with the Steelers, Reed with the Chiefs, um, Carroll with the Seahawks, and then Peyton uh, with the Saints. So I think those are only five coaches that I would think that would, you know, can have they have the the luxury of knowing they're going to probably be in those positions next season, and, and so they can right. they can take Jones and wait on him. So the rest of the guys, you need guys that come in and make impact now. If you're going to make the postseason for two or three seasons, um, you know you're out of a job and you only get two cracks at it the next post. Yeah, you know I I, I agree with all that, but I, you know I think that you know in some ways the 49ers actually might have the ability to do that because there is actually some room there. There's six. I think I think. Shanahan's there on a, four, a six-year contract, so I, you know that means nothing, obviously, in the longer, in the greater scheme of things. But they could, they could use the help everywhere, basically. And I wouldn't be surprised if they decided to take a stab at him. But really, I really don't expect him to, to fall too, too far. I mean, I, if he goes to the third round, he'd be a steal, even if he misses. And I would assume that he misses the entire rookie season to get up to speed. But that's okay with me. I mean, I, I think, um, I think he's going to be fantastic in the NFL, and I wouldn't, I would definitely not let him slide too far. All right, so let me uh, let me give you a, another one of my guys, and and I hate talking about the University of Michigan because I hate the University of Michigan, 
But they got a very intriguing wide receiver there that I like a lot, who I think will go, who will be a steal actually in the round in round four, may go round three, but I think you could probably get him round three or four. I think he was going to be a solid number two receiver, and that's Amara Darbo. Now, Darbo's family has a very interesting history. They actually had to flee Sierra Leone in order to avoid war when Amara was only seven years old, and they ended up living in Des Moines, Iowa. So I don't know what was harder, uh, suffering through Sierra Leone or suffering through Des Moines, Iowa. But, hey, uh, suffice to say he had a significant <laughs> hardship to overcome both in Sierra Leone and in acclimating to Des Moines, Iowa. So either way... The fact of the matter is this guy's overcome a lot, and he uh, really made quite a name for himself playing football in Michigan. He was a part-time starter in 2014, had 473 yards, two touchdowns, earned honorable mention all Big Ten accolades in 2015 with 727 yards and five touchdowns. And then in his senior year, uh, got a uh, second-team all-conference as the Wolverines' leading receiver with 862 yards and seven touchdowns. He's big. He's a big dude. I know you like big receivers. He's a big guy, six foot two, 215 pounds. He has above average arm length, 32 and 5 eighths inches. He has straight line speed, 4.45, 40-yard dash at the NFL Combine. And he is an incredibly accomplished and strong blocker when he played at Michigan. So there's a lot to like, I think, about this, uh, this guy, Darbo. And I think that he's going to get overlooked a little bit because he's not an overly dynamic player. You know, he's not flashy. He doesn't have that, quick, that twitch quickness. So he doesn't make a lot of those, like, wow, what happened type plays. Doesn't really blow people away that way. He probably won't be good playing underneath, but he will be good playing on the outside. His value could be very scheme dependent. And I think that's why he's going to fall to round three, four, maybe even a little bit later. But like I said, I think he projects to be a solid number two receiver. He can put up big numbers in most offenses. Uh, He has more than enough in the physical attributes area. He has a very strong work ethic. Uh, I think he'd be a really big – I think he'd be a steal in the fourth round. Uh, I think he'd be a great target for the Eagles, who really need need help on wide receiver, Uh, as we talked about earlier in the season as well, in the offseason, I should say. 49ers could use him. Rams could use him. Titans could use him. I think he could actually step in right away and be a a relatively solid and dependable number two receiver. Um, And I hate to say that because he's from Michigan. But, hey, you know, the guy's unique. So what do you think about uh, Amara Dorba? Any any thoughts about Dorba? Well, you, you you hit the nail on the head. Well, actually, you're a little bit wrong. You, said I, you know I like big receivers. I love big receivers. Right. I love guys who are physical and well catch the ball. I love them in the red zone. I, you know, you take your take your flashy speed receivers and, uh, you know, set the ball in place because now i got to talk good about him on the pad. But everyone else can uh, see. Um, but, no, I, I love him. I loved him at Michigan last year. Um, I think his story is really cool. And this year, we own the immigrant story, the, the work ethic he has. Um, he did a couple of interviews during games this year talking about it. Yes. I thought it was great. You know, even better is that Phil Sims is no longer an announcer in the NFL, so we don't have to listen to a game where he'll <laughs> overkill that story. Um, so right. hopefully we have some guys that mention it without mentioning it, you know, on every snap that he's out there. So uh, I think he's a good fit. I think, I think this, you know, this, the potential landing spots you had um, were good. I also, again, I'm going to go back to the Steelers. You know, Steelers don't make a lot of noise in free agency. Right. You got the knucklehead Martavis Bryant. Um, I just think they got to draft the receiver. And historically, Pittsburgh's always had the big physical receiver behind Ward. You know, plus uh, for, for, for you know for what of course he was you know a big body guy or at least he was the height that could go up and get the ball. Um, and you know they have a pretty short receiving core right now. 
and I think Ben could use a guy that he could just lob it to the back of the end zone. I know for some, you know, for some weeks there towards the end of the year, when Ladarius Green came back to try to fit him into that role, I think bringing yep. a true receiver with, with better hands um, to, to fill that need would be would be the smarter route for them. So I think you could sit there. Yep. Um, the teams you mentioned as well, but I, I like this guy. I think he's probably the worst guy in that way. Yep. All right, so let's get on to our last two. We've got to do this pretty quick because we want to hit the draft really quick. But go ahead. Your last guy. Give it about two minutes, and let's, let's hear your last prospect. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we talked about how deep the running back draft is and the cornerback draft. I've been saying this for a while. I also think it's a really, really deep defensive end draft. The guy I have in here um, is Trey Hendrickson out of Florida Atlantic. You know, yep. probably the most, maybe wow. one of the most underrated prospects in this draft. He is 6'4", 266. I also love big defensive ends. It's football. I like, I like big guys' size and uh, physicality. So um, that's where he is. But, you know, he had nine and a half sacks last year. He also had 13 and a half sacks as a junior. Uh, he, he really flashed with the East-West Shrine game this year. He was considered one of the best players on the field. He was uh, considered almost unblockable. Um, he could not be stopped, you know, in one-on-one drills. And he's right. got pretty good open speed. You know, watching his tape, there's several plays that he was coming from the far side and, you know, chasing down the running back from the back side, um, you know, two or three yards downfield. So he's got great closing speed. And then, you know, he had one fourth fumble last year, and he had a couple of his junior season. He had uh, two passes defense last year. So just a versatile guy. He's a playmaker, uh, high motor, uh, really strong, uh, you know, really fast. And, hey, I mean, he had, I think he, I think he finished college with 29 and a half sacks in his career. And wow. I don't care if you play at Florida Lincoln or not, um, that's, that's impressive. So if he's, you know, he's projected fourth or fifth round, or third between the third and the fifth. If he's there in the fourth round, you got to serve him. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I, I like him too. And my last guy is George Kittle. I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path a little bit and take a tight end from Iowa. Uh, I think Kittle is a great all-around tight end. He plays in a pro-style offense in Iowa. He blocked like an offensive lineman. He's super solid. He barely got beat off the line. Plus, he has terrific hands. He's had only one drop in 48 career catches. He had the third fastest 40-yard dash speed among tight ends at 4.52. He had the third longest broad jump among tight ends at 11 feet, 0 inches at the NFL Combine. And he just demonstrates just high-end speed and agility all the way around. Plus, he has the great blocking ability. You know, last year, he was an all-Big Ten pick, even though he missed a lot of the season with a foot injury. He had 11 starts, 314 yards, four touchdowns, 22 catches. You know, I think he could be a really, really solid tight end. There's a lot of needs out there for tight ends. There's some concerns about his ability to create separation on his routes, but I don't think that's anything that can't be fixed with some solid coaching and some opportunity. I think he could be selected anywhere between the third and sixth round, but if he gets picked up in the fourth round or later, he is going to be super, super solid. I think that the Cowboys could really use him. I mean, Jason Witten's not going to be there forever. He'd be a great guy to get back into that role. Good blocking tight end with great pass-catching ability. Giants could use him. They don't have a good tight end. I think the Jets could use a good tight end. They haven't had one in forever. And the Rams certainly could use a tight end as well. So that's my thought on, on George Kittle. All right, so let's turn our attention to the next topic because we're running a little short on time already, amazingly. Let's talk about the 1967 NFL Draft, which is actually the first draft post-AFL consolidation. So really the first draft in the history of the NFL, if you want to think of it that way, because that's really when the Super Bowls actually started. So this attend, this, is, uh, <laughs> this was on March 14th to 15th in 1967, occurred at Gotham Hotel in New York City. 
And uh, like I said, it was a common draft of the AFL. It is amazing because it was 17 rounds. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine going through 17 rounds of this. Uh, but there was a pretty interesting class. There are eight Hall of Famers out of there. Um, it was, uh, there was a lot of interesting selections. And uh, we were just going to get right to it. Tell us, uh, what's the guy you want to highlight from the 1967 NFL draft? Yeah, um, so I had uh, I just put on three guys quickly here. Um, the first two I'll just mention because they're you know the Hall of Famers, and the third one uh, I'm gonna rip apart. Um, you know, Gene Upshaw was drafted in this draft. Uh, Bob Greasy was drafted to the Dolphins in this draft, and uh, that worked out pretty well for Miami. Uh, one of the last good decisions the Dolphins ever made. So, um, but then most interesting in this draft, I've been too nice to running backs today during this podcast. So uh, I'm coming for you now, RB. Um, Floyd Leaping Little. How Floyd Little is in the NFL Hall of Fame is the most miraculous thing I've ever heard of in my life. This man had 54 touchdowns, only had 6,233 yards, and a 3.9 yards per carry average. You know, just to pick a Patriot bone, because we all know know, I'm a little bit of a Patriot hunk. Um, Corey Dillon has over 10,000 rushing yards and is not in he is the only running back with over 10,000 yards I believe that is not in the Hall of Fame yet Floyd Little at 3.9 per carry in 6,200 yards is in the in the Hall of Fame I just threw my notepad I, I, this guy sucks I, I don't know how he's a Hall of Famer and so when I when I realized he was drafted in this draft I had to take a minute to pick a bone so the other two great all time players so obviously a historic draft but um, you know, two names that jump off from, from back then. Obviously, Bob Greasy was a, a Hall of Fame quarterback and, you know, won the Super Bowl. Um, so, you know, those guys, you get a highlight. But Floyd Little, please, get out of here. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, you know, it's interesting because I looked at this draft, and, and honestly, I never really paid attention to who actually was selected in this specific draft. So I'm going to pick some guys to talk about that are just really interesting to me. And that is actually Mr. Irrelevant in this draft, Jimmy Walker. Now, I know no one has probably heard of Jimmy Walker as a football player. Good and there's a good reason for that, because Jimmy Walker is actually an NBA player. He, is, uh, he was selected number one overall in the 1967 NBA draft by the Detroit Pistons and was selected last in the 1967 NFL draft by the New Orleans Saints. So he is basically the only guy to have been drafted first by one pro league and last by another. So I thought that was pretty interesting to, to talk about uh, uh, Mr. Jimmy Walker. And then the other guy I want to talk about was Dave Latin, who actually was drafted near, very, very much near the end. He was the third to last draft selection. He was drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs. He was also a basketball player. But a little bit more interesting is that he was the starting center for the Texas Western Miners. Uh, who actually won the NCAA championship in 1966. And why is that relevant? Because that was the subject of the movie from 2005, and uh, 2006, I should say, Glory Road. I don't know if you remember the, the movie or not, but it was the story of the, uh, the miners uh, and how they were the first to integrate uh, African-Americans into the sport of NCAA basketball, and they uh, managed to beat an all-Caucasian uh, Kentucky team in the final game, and it really opened the eyes. Uh, everybody who played NCAA basketball said, oh, my gosh, these guys are really, really good. So uh, that was a really interesting. And he actually, his character was actually in that movie. So I thought that was very interesting. He was selected as a, in the football draft. He never actually went to play football. He never actually played football in his life. And the other guy that I wanted to highlight, and I know nothing about him, is that pick number 368 was Jon Snow. 
<laughs> and I just thought, wow, hey, isn't that guy from uh, <laughs> from uh, from uh, from that TV show? Uh, I didn't think that he had anything to do with uh, football, but there you go, Jon Snow selected in the NFL draft. All right, any last thoughts about the 1967 NFL draft before we wrap up today? Yeah, you know, I just like to say, you know, I uh, I remember this from the AFL days. Um, I'm actually reading a book on like the the history of the Patriots starting from you know back in the, the early '60s when the AFL formed, and so I did some research to make sure um, that the '67 draft did not have this, and luckily it did not. But the AFL draft used to do this thing called regional rights, um, which was basically if you know the, the Minnesota Vikings got got first dibs on all the Minnesota players, and then the Patriots got first dibs on all the um, all the New England players. So right, um, right, right, right. Yeah, just five years later. That the draft had advanced far enough past that that uh, that horrible idea, whoever's idea that was to implement that in the NFL. Um, so I'm, I'm just glad to see that you know five years later uh, there was a little bit of evolution in the league already. Right, that's right. They used to have that thing rule that you had to you had to get first dibs on people within a certain radius of where you were. That was really bizarre. All right. Well, that was interesting. I hope everybody learned something from that. That's a really interesting historical note for all you guys. And let's ring the bell on our last topic. All right, so Ryan, tell us what's your uh, what's the Instagram account and the uh, Twitter account that we should be following. Yes, uh, football underscore garbage underscore time for Instagram, and uh, Twitter is at Ryan Whitfield NE. And I am so pumped that we're gonna be you know not doing doing these deep round sleepers anymore. That we're actually gonna talk about the draft <laughs> next week. So yeah, it's gonna be exciting. And it's going to be exciting, everybody. Tune in for the draft because that is going to be fun, fun, fun. We're going to have articles on it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to break it down. It's going to be a lot a lot of legitimate NFL news coming up, which is going to be great. Uh, you can follow me at FB Garbage Time. Until next time, enjoy your NFL week and enjoy the draft. And go Bulls. Yeah. Hey, uh, maybe, the, maybe the Blackhawks will score tonight. <laughs> Thanks. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.